Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. To find more information about the Preacher Boys podcast and upcoming documentary, visit PreacherBoysDoc.com or connect on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Now, here is your host, Eric Skwarzynski. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I'm, of course, your host, Eric Skorzynski. And on today's episode, I'm joined by Jen Lord. Jen shares her story about growing up in a pretty difficult family situation and finding acceptance, at least at the beginning, from an independent Baptist church. She talks about the increasing level of control that the church took over on her life, eventually leading to her attending Commonwealth Baptist College in Lexington, Kentucky, where she talks about the toxic college environment, the confusing way that women were taught about sexuality and how to focus on their appearance to impress the boys that were at the college. And we talk a little bit about the double standards of constantly focusing on male-female relationships, but also the extreme amount of suppression that happens at the same time within IFB churches and colleges. Jen then talks about just her experience getting out of it, uh, talks a little bit about the things now that she sees that are inconsistencies within the movement and the doctrine inside of it. And so there's a lot of really good stuff here. Jen is really an amazing guest. And even though this episode is a little bit shorter than most, I think we cover a lot of really interesting ground. And it's going to be an episode that you're not going to want to miss one second of. And please, guys, do me a huge favor. If you enjoy any of these episodes on the Preacher Boys podcast, please, please, please head over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. I've noticed a couple of one-stars coming in uh, after naming a couple of larger colleges and churches. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I think there's a clear correlation there. But if you could uh, go ahead and leave a review, uh, share what you love about the show, and get the uh, the rating bumping back up, and uh, give this an opportunity to really be seen by more people within the Apple algorithm. So just head over to the Apple Podcast app. Uh, look for the Preacher Boys Podcast if you're not listening there right now, and leave a five-star rating and a review. It would really mean the world to me. And above all that, share this episode and all the others with friends uh, who would need to hear it. So, all right, guys, without any further ado, let's head into the episode with Jen Lord. All right, Jen, thank you so much for joining me on the Preacher Boys podcast. Now, I know I gave a little bit of context about who you are in the, in the introduction, 
Uh, but can you just introduce yourself and kind of let our listeners know how you got introduced to the Independent Baptist Movement? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So I'm 23 years old. I currently not, I wouldn't say not attending a church right now, but I mean, currently because of the pandemic going on, I did find one that I had liked, but you know, to backtrack a little bit, I had started off uh, my life and I wasn't raised in a Christian home. You know, they would call it a broken home. My mom and dad were divorced when I was about maybe five or six. And my mom soon after remarried to a man who was unfortunately addicted to heroin at the time. And, you know, when I was growing up, you know, it was, everything was so extreme. Everything was so chaotic. And, you know, there was never that moment of peace, you know. There was such a drawing for me of these extreme things. I think that's partly why I was so drawn to the Independent Fundamental Baptist Church, because when I had my own journey with my addiction and watching my mom and her husband go through it, my step-siblings, cousins, family members, they, they never found recovery and they never found that hope. And I believe that, you know, if I go to this church, you know, if I just trade one extreme for the other, everything will be fine and it'll all be fixed. And I won't have to go to this scary therapist and be on these scary medications because that's unfortunately how a lot of these circles paint the picture of therapy and mental health and everything along those lines and for a while I was I was feeling like I'm successful in this I'm getting so much praise because I'm passing out these gospel tracts and I'm at church you know three days a week and I'm volunteering in the nursery and vacation bible school and every ounce of my energy and time was going into that and to turn around and have have you know people start to shame you because you start thinking independently or start to maybe question things that you're being taught you know all of a sudden you're this this black sheep almost I remember I had I had asked my pastor you know naturally at the time I was wanting to go to bible college I I wanted to be some sort of pastor's wife or in the ministry of some capacity and he gave me a list of two bible colleges one of them was Tyles Anderson College and the other one was Commonwealth Baptist College in Lexington Kentucky and I went there and from growing up so independently you know, I made my own decisions. I went where I wanted to go. I made my own schedule. I pretty much took care of myself to being an 18-year-old woman going into college, telling you what you have to wear, what you have to eat, what you have to learn, what you have to do, how to walk. You know, I remember sitting in a Christian womanhood class and they mentioned a some Christian contemporary song, and they said, who knows that song? And I naturally raised my hand because I liked this song, and I thought it was a nice song. And in front of all the women there, they said, now, you're going to have to do a lot of learning about why that's so wicked. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like the smallest person on the earth. And that, that's when I thought, if the if the God of all love that I've been taught to know about, if he's real, 
there's no way he would stand me in front of these people and shame me like this. And eventually I, I did end up getting kicked out of that Bible college. And it was things like not wearing pantyhose and somebody, you know, told on you or not having everything in your room arranged exactly how it's supposed to look. And I mean, we, it was just, it felt like, we were just learning nothing, nothing really about the Bible, nothing about spirituality. It felt like all the women there were just learning about how to serve the men. And I don't want to get anybody wrong. I believe, you know, that there are some things that I did take away from there that were good. I do think that there are things that I learned in my personal experience that were good. But I think a lot of it is grooming people young men and young women to take abuse and to accept it and think that it's love when it's not it's it's the absolute opposite of love right well I think you kind of hit on that when you're you were talking early on when you first joined the church and um, I've talked about this with other guests but there seems to be with a lot of these churches when there's a new member there's this honeymoon period of you know, there's a lot of reward for being there. There's, you know, obviously like on special Sundays and stuff, you know, they bring in visitors with, you know, a gift or with some, you know, way of showing, you know, quote unquote love to the community. And even early on in the first few months, there's typically incentives and encouragement to, you know, do different tasks, like to change the types of clothes you're wearing or to participate in, the choir or in some, you know, nursery or ministry or things like that. Um, but as you go in, the amount of control starts to increase and the amount of reward starts to decrease. And it kind of sets you on this hamster wheel of moving really quickly and trying to do as much as you can to earn, like you said, it feels good when people reward you or when, you know, the pastor points you out and says, oh, you're doing a great job. Like that gives you a dopamine rush of, you know, oh, this feels amazing. Like I'm doing something that has purpose. Right, right. But but also, like you said, it sets you up for abuse in the sense of, you know, when you become that reliant on people for um, approval, then they can use that as severe leverage, especially in a Bible college setting. And, some and I of think them- that it also becomes a little bit, almost, I became, I mean, speaking from my own personal experience, I became almost, codependent with the leaders at the church like if I saw that you know they were they were off and you know they were you know beating down the people at the church you know it it would affect me and it would be like the whole spirit of the church would change and it was like Mm -hmm. you know I remember coming home sometimes on Sunday from church and some of my family members that didn't attend church were like, why do you have, like, why are you in such a bad mood whenever you come home from church? And it was like, I felt like, oh, I'm not putting a smile on my face. I'm not showing them that I'm happy. But in reality, I wasn't happy. And right. I think from for a lot of pe- people, especially young people that are coming from backgrounds where they grow up on survival and not love that little bit of love that is shown that is secretly snuck in wrapped in abuse that little bit of love is taken and ran with it and it personally hits me on another level because 
that's just taking advantage of people that already have nothing. Right. I'm so glad you you said that because that's one conversation that I've had quite a bit with um, my wife, especially. It's like there's, and I actually was talking to her about today, is that there is some things within the IFB movement. And of course, not every single church that calls itself IFB is like this, but there is a common pattern across the U.S. of churches taking advantage of people who are either coming from a severe low-income background, from an abusive situation, from basically any kind of strong emotional situation that can be used to manipulate. And um, I was talking to someone today, and you know, I'm sure someone listening might think this is a tinfoil hat type, you know, conspiracy theory. But it's one of those things where, you know, I said it's not any coincidence that a ministry like First Baptist of Hammond with Jack Hiles was busing in kids oh, yeah. I, by the I hundreds. Know, I know, you know many people that have attended that college, and I actually got reprimanded when mm. I came when I got home from being kicked out of the college that I went to and they said um when I got reprimanded they said it's a good thing you didn't go to Hiles Anderson you would have put us to shame you would have brought shame on them by attending the college or by having been kicked out of a college of that level in their eyes oh by being kicked out of a college of that level you know Jack Hiles that whole right. scene, you know, they would talk about him like like he was God almost. Right. And you know, I would I would bring up you know some some things that he had said that you know to the out to to us don't sound like quote the Christian thing to say, but whenever I would bring those subjects up, it was always hush hush. And then it was always you know well Jen's just the weird girl that goes to our church that has theories about everything but right you know I really at this point in my life I I want to stand up for what's right and I believe the obligation of the youth is to defy corruption and I think that there's a lot of corruption that goes on there I mean there was even times where I would say hey you know let's as a church why don't we get together and like make a meal you know make make a whole big meal for like the project community you know the low-income community let's go Mm. do something for them like let's take let's take us this church and bring it to them and it was always no you know you got to get them to come in and you know are there a bunch of freeloaders and it's just right the the independent fundamental baptist church is run a lot more like a business than i think a lot of people realize right yeah i definitely see that it seems like the the low-income communities are often served if they can offer some kind of service in return. And so, you know, if they can't bring money, they can, they can be the ones that volunteer or clean the building or paint or go out and pass out flyers, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I, I really, like I said, I'm really glad you hit on that because one of the things, even when I was just initially getting outside of it, one of the things I had a big problem with was this reward kind of system that was built up early on and it was one of those things of you know when you're bringing in kids by offering candy and things in exchange for services that relationship isn't going to change suddenly once they become an adult and it's not going to shift to a healthy relationship later on so you're you're teaching essentially from the beginning that you come here to get something from us and in return we expect service from you and that's a really unhealthy relationship for a church and church attendee to have. 
Um, and it's so, not unconditional love either. Exactly. Yes. That's a big part. Of I that. mean, I can say that because I, I, I was a bus, I was a bus captain. I was a bus yeah. worker. My dad, my dad drove the, the church bus for a long time, <laughs> you know? Right. And I, I was, I was a bus kid at one point when I very first started going to church, I, I would ride the bus on Sundays, you know? Right. And I'm even still, even still, I would say I'm about a little less than a year out of the independent fundamental Baptist church, but there's still, I still get backslash to this day. You know, there's still people that attend my church, attend my old church and, you know, I'll get a random rude text from somebody, you know, or we're praying for you because, you know, we know that you're living such a sinful life. And I'm like, actually, I'm, to be totally fair, I'm the healthiest mentally, spiritually, and physically that I have ever been in my life. And I believe that if one does choose to look towards, you know, a higher power, God, whatever, you know, you choose to call it, you know, it's got to be a God, it's got to be something that has got an unconditional love, a love that is going to give without, without expectation, that's going to have those open arms, that's not going to, that's not waiting around the corner to strike you every time you quote, do something wrong, you know, I never understood why you're going to, you know, we preach, you know, we're, our sins are forgiven past, present, and future. But then why are they being brought up in every single sermon and being beaten mm. over our heads with them? I thought right. they were in the sea of God's forgetfulness. Why are, you know, I don't believe that we are to be bringing something up that he's already forgotten. You know, that's, that's torture. No, I, I definitely agree with that. And it is, it is, it just circles back to that thing of if you can keep people constantly seeking approval, they're very easy to control. And one of the things you kind of hinted oh. at earlier, and I know we talked briefly before uh, we hit the record button, but you mentioned at the college there was, I mean, especially for, for women in the IFB, it's not a positive environment. And, and what your experience was like at uh, Commonwealth? One of the biggest things that I took from the college itself was when we had to wear, there was a, there was a very, very strict dress code. You would have every day before you would leave your room, you would have a room check to make sure that you were dressed appropriately, that you had your pantyhose on or nylons, whatever you want to call them. Um, and who did the room check? Just like a dorm, like a dorm supervisor or someone? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so the dorm supervisor would come and make sure that you were dressed appropriately. She would measure, you know, your skirts, you know, your tops, make sure um, make sure that if you were a fuller-figured woman, if it was fitting too tight, she would ask you to go back in and change and put on something looser. Um, I know that one of the biggest things was during our ladies' devotionals was there was a lot of there was a lot of freshmen that were not wearing pantyhose. I can't believe I'm saying this. There's a lot of freshmen that were not wearing the pantyhose and we had to have a meeting about it. And our dorm supervisor said, well, it doesn't make you more holy, but the men love it. And then hmm. all of a sudden you see all these girls with their faces all lit up and it's just like, no, that's not your worth. That's not your value. That's not why you should put something on or not put something on you should right. put it on because you want to do it 
because it pleases you. It makes you feel happy and beautiful. You know, as a woman, it makes it makes you feel like your best self by wearing right. something. But rather instead, it was wear this so that the men, you know, can look at you and be pleased by you. There was a right. really big push on, you know, us getting married and finding, you know, they would always say your true love is, you know, somewhere in these pews. And there was, there's right. so many couples I know that, that got married right out of college. They didn't even finish college. And now they've got three kids and are foreclosing on their house. I mean, it's, it's just not right to do to these young people to you're, right. you're not preparing them for real life. You're just painting a picture for them and saying, okay, go play house and give your money to the church. Right. Well, it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword too of, you know, when it comes to the, the idea of the dress and modesty thing of like, you have to look good to appease the men because the men within the IP system are, supreme but then also if you look too good then you're going to be called a harlot or temptress or all these different things um and same with relationships like you're being told constantly and it's kind of a weird thing like there's a lot of sexualization when you listen to the preaching from a lot of ip pulpits and a lot of conversation about you know finding someone to be with and you know all those different things but also at the same time you're told not to talk about that sort of thing. So it leads to this really weird juxtaposition for college students where, you know, they're extremely interested in all of those subjects because it's being pounded from the pulpit over and over and over again. But they also aren't allowed to discuss or show any of those feelings or thoughts or work through any of those things in the college experience. And I honestly think it's, I think it's, it's such robbery and it's so, it's it's mm. one of the worst things because you're taking that opportunity away from these and mind you i i couldn't believe some of these people that were my age and older than me they you know were like you know they knew i was from up north and you know every once i got there everybody kind of said well she's she's not a preacher's daughter Oh, she's a bus kid. Okay, so she's, you know, she's not up on the totem pole. So they would right. say, have you ever held a guy's hand? Have you ever sat next to a guy? And I'd be like, yeah, I have. I mean, what, you know, and then it's like these, I've watched these, these young people go from like, they're, they, they don't even, they can't even talk about it to now all of a sudden, you know, they're pregnant and their church is shaming them for something that they weren't even educated about. These poor kids are going out into the world with, with nothing. They've got, they, they say, you know, we're preparing you for the real world and the real battle. No, no, you're, you're harming them. You're literally harming them. I remember going in the back of my college and, you know, just to go for a walk by myself to think, and there'd be couples like running out of the bushes you know don't you know don't tell the dorm supervisor don't tell the dean and I'm like right and I would talk to them and I'd be like how is it that we can't even have a conversation as adults about these natural things but yeah it's being but marriage and having children and you know making a home is being forced on us I like that you're setting them up for failure I remember one of the 
one of my really good friends who I still keep in contact with, she was, you know, dead set she's going to marry a missionary, and her parents were very much into the Independent Fundamental Baptist Church. They still are very heavily, as far as I know, um, and it started out really good, and they they pushed they pushed her to get married, pushed her to have children, and you know she ended up in a domestic violence situation and had to restart her whole life again with her three children. Mm. You know, and, you know I would never say you know those children are so beautiful and so wonderful and they're such a gift to the earth, but however they don't deserve to come into a life of trauma. They don't deserve right. to open their eyes you know, and feel fear in the middle of the night. They don't deserve that. Right. And it's just, it makes me upset because it's it's the ripple effect. You tell one person, get married, get married, have children, be submissive. And then all of a sudden, you know, their whole life is upside down because right. they tried to do what they were told and it totally backfired on them, you know, what are they going to think of God? What are they going to think of other churches? You did mention the abuse side of things. And one of the things you also mentioned um, earlier was that there was a lot of cover-up of this kind of stuff. Can you talk about maybe the some of the abuse you saw? I know you gave a few examples, but how you saw it you know, dealt with or handled either in the church or in the college? Yeah, so in the church, I know that um, there was, a lot, and not just in my church, but in many churches. Um, I know of one of mine and one in Ohio that, you know, unfortunately a lot of young people were being sexually assaulted by the like some leaders in the church, whether it be deacons, ushers, assistant pastors, youth pastors, they were being sexually assaulted. And the ones that said something were told you know that that was the that was God's plan to teach you something you know and the authorities were never involved and then Mm -hmm. there's you know the people in which case who are sexually assaulted and they know in the depths of their heart they know if they said something to the pastor and his wife they would deny it and they would come up with an excuse let's say for example I know that a young woman had gone out and had gotten had had a few drinks with her friends or something and this has happened at a church when I was living in Kentucky and she reported the sexual assault from somebody that was in her church she reported it to her pastor and he looked her in the eye and said you shouldn't have been out and you shouldn't have been drinking and you shouldn't have been dressed the way you were dressed so when you when you started hearing these stories or seeing these stories as a member or as a you know part of the college you know how did it make you feel at the time and how did you I don't want to say justify but how did you hear these stories and keep attending and you know did it did you feel like well this is what people are telling me to think about it did it bother you but you didn't think it was a pattern at that point um what was kind of your mindset and you know because I think of stuff now and there's things that I heard you know when I was attending where you know if I heard it now I would walk out of a room 
And when you're in it, you're sometimes desensitized to some of the more oh, statements that are made, you know? So, so desensitized. I mean, because the way, uh, the way I look at it is, you know, when you join, you know, there's like you said, that honeymoon stage. And then there's like a stage where you start, you know, starting to learn everything, starting to teach, try to reach other people and invite them to church. And then there's sort of this super high and then it's super low. Mm. And then you're craving that quote unquote spiritual high that you you know it happened at that place. You right. like I you knew it happened at that place. You knew beyond a shadow of a doubt it happened and you so badly want to feel that connection and that so at sometimes I was so desperate just for a feeling of emotion that I would crave those meetings, you know. I remember a bunch of us, a bunch of teenagers, we would be like, Oh, I can't wait for youth camp so I can be on that mountaintop again and then right. they would preach and say, Oh, your mountaintop experience, it's gonna go away and then mm -hmm. slowly but surely we all started to, you know, kind of settle back in to where we were. And there was no the, the problem is we were struggling with, with real problems, mental health disorders, you know, people had horrible homes, people were struggling financially, physically, you know, in all sorts of ways and it's not going to be cured by that mountaintop experience. It's just not, you know, when you get back to reality, they're going to preach, oh, the mountaintop experience is going mm -hmm. away. And you're like, right. oh, yeah, it is. And then you so desperately want to feel that happiness again, you know, that cloud nine experience right. that you'll do, that you will do anything to stay. I mean, I would compare it to somebody using, you know, yeah, I can compare it to my, to, to my own to my own struggles with addiction you know i you would do anything just to like i said when you grow up when you're when you grow up on survival and i think a lot more people grow up that way than they realize when you grow up on survival and not love the littlest bit amount seems like the most amazing thing in the world and you will do absolutely anything to get it again but once right. I started finding happiness outside of the church, once I started finding happiness in school and helping people in a career and friends, I bought me and my best friend got our first apartment together. You know, once I found, started finding joy in things outside of the church, that's when I could look in and say, wow, what is going on in here? Right. And when you, I don't know if this was your experience, but like in my experience, when you start finding joy or, you know, even if you're not necessarily leaving the church, like for me, when I first started making steps toward, you know, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to get involved in things that I want to be involved in, or I want to, you know, I don't necessarily want to be a part of a choir in the church because I don't know how to sing, you know, or I want to be involved mm -hmm. in this instead when you start finding happiness and the keyword, I guess, identity outside of the church, because they're so possessive and they want your full attention, it's kind of like an abusive partner. They just start splitting ways and you basically become dead to those who used to treat you like 
in, in your mind at the time, treat you like gold. And, and that's what's a hard funny thing to deal is when with. I, when I first started, you know, when I first moved just out of, you know, and it, it wasn't like it was a bad move. I'm 22 years old, you know, moving out of my parents' house, moving in with my best friend. And it was a 30, 40 minute commute each way to get to church. And I started saying, you know, I think I'm going to start looking for, you know, one up here. And then it just started this uproar of, you know, how could you move? How could you leave without asking right. anybody? You didn't, you didn't seek counsel. I can see a big storm coming for you. Only bad things are going to happen to you. And I honestly, in my own personal walk, the most interesting thing that's happened to me is the people that have said that I'm going to be unhappy have actually also left the church wow that's that's crazy and it doesn't make me think oh i was right it makes me think somebody else is free that's honestly how i want to look at it because there's so much joy in freedom and i remember oh i wish i could remember her name i was listening to one of uh your podcasts with another woman and she had said, does your faith stand up? Just, I think it's to scrutiny. Hmm. And it was just so profound to me. And I could just imagine all the times where our church, you know, was maybe bashed or something like that. And the anger and the fire and brimstone that would come down when those things would happen. It's just like, it's not, it's not Christianity. and it's funny because they they wanted each people to have so much knowledge of the Bible, but then when you know when you have that knowledge and then you question what they're saying in regards to what the Bible says, that's that's really when a lot of the tables started turning over. You know, okay. I would say they would use verses in Deuteronomy and say, you know, women should never wear pants. They should never wear, you know, what is to a, what a man should wear. Right. And then I would say, well, if you're, you know, technically in their in their terms, technically, if you're rightly dividing the Bible, that doesn't apply to us right now as doctrine. And then, you know, then all of a sudden I was a conspirator and I'm the black sheep. I'm happy that I learned what I learned. And I'm, right. and I'm really happy to share my story and to be able to in maybe share some hope and to be able to maybe set some stepping stones for other people who feel like they want to find freedom. Yeah. Well, I definitely appreciate that because it can feel, especially with a topic like this, it can feel like there's not much hope or that hope's in short supply. And the truth is, is that there really is freedom. It, it takes, it's, I mean, obviously it's not a quick and easy path there. Um, you know, you talked about, you know, climbing the mountain when I be like when you do leave it does feel like you fall a little bit initially and people who and you do start to question and say right oh am I one of those that they're talking about the ones that have left the fold am I one of am I one of those am I the deceived are they the deceived and right it's just it's mental torture for a little bit to be honest yeah well, it's, you've spent years being a part of this angry mob that casts out other people who step away. And so when you're on the receiving end of that, you know exactly what people are saying about you. And 
oh, when you've established right. those people as your authorities and you've established those people as your family, that's a very difficult thing to walk away from. And there's a lot of gaslighting that goes on that tells you if you leave, something's wrong with you. It's never going to be with us. Oh, yeah. It's with you. Um, so I guess I would ask you, because I, and I think you've, I mean, I think you've said a really a lot of amazing things about how to recover from that kind of thinking. But I'm curious if you were going to talk to someone who is sitting in the pew and they were where you were at the height of your involvement with this movement, what would you say to them if they're thinking about leaving, if they, you know, are trying to stick it out? What would you say to someone who's sitting in a pew of an abusive uh, IFB ministry? Um, I would tell them that in the, I would, I feel like I would want to ask them, in the deepest part of your soul, what in this place truly makes you unapologetically happy? And if you can't really find anything that, there were many things where I wanted to enjoy things in my life and, you know, it's not sin, quote unquote, but, you know, should I really be doing it? Is it the appearance of evil? You know, is there really, you know, I know that the Bible says that, you know, the truth shall make you free. And if you're not right. free, I don't see right. how it could possibly be the truth. Oh, definitely. Um, and I, uh, I thought about that many times, you know, it's simple, even Bible verses that we, that we as people that are a part of those churches that we overlook because mm. there's, there's just so much going on in your mind that you're battling and then you're also battling the people that are gossiping about you and but you're right. trying to be a good church member and you need you kind of feel like you need the pastor and some leaders to see what you're doing because they've now made it seem like god doesn't see it unless they see it right exactly no that's true um and I guess kind of compounding on that question, uh, and this is a question I tend to ask everyone who comes on the show, but, you know, having identified some of these problems in, you know, the different experiences that you had, from the outside looking in now, do you think that there's hope for reform of the IFP movement? Or, you know, do you think there's a way that it could shift direction and become a positive thing? Or do you think that it's too built into the DNA of it to be fixed? And I've gotten a mix of answers on this. I'm curious where you stand on that. I personally don't believe that it's going to turn around. I don't see it changing because the real, the real backbone of, of what I, of what I can gather from the independent fundamental Baptist church is it, it's really about power and mm. people are not going to give away power. You know, they talk about it in church, you know, pride is one of, you know, one of the strongest sins one of the worst sins but at the end of the day are you if you're power hungry which is what i see in a lot of churches are you power hungry or do you have a pride problem and you know i i just it's so built into the dna it's so it's so traditional in the sense where if you go to an independent fundamental Baptist church, there's, there's just going to be a staple way of how they do it. And they're really not going to miss a beat. I don't see them turning around because they're even preaching to the young people. 
you know, when we pass on, don't let things change. And the young people right. are like, yes, you know, we will carry on the torch. You know, are you, are you carrying on a torch or are you carrying on a pattern of abuse? Hmm. I think they're carrying on a pattern of abuse. Wow. Well, that's, I mean, like I said, I think everything you said, I couldn't have, I couldn't have asked for better answers to these questions. And I think you've brought a really good perspective to all of this. So I want to thank you really sincerely for coming on and for sharing uh, your perspective. And I know, like with every interview, I think it's going to help a lot of people kind of work through their own situations because, you know, the, the truth is there's thousands of people who are finding themselves in the same situation you were just a few years ago. So I think that the perspective and hearing that there is freedom and that there is, you know, happiness outside of it is an important message that people need to hear. So thank you so much for, for doing that. Thank you for listening to the Preacher Boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at Preacher Boys Doc. Additional information can always be found on PreacherBoysDoc.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.